You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Monster House presents. Monster Talk is proud to be a part of the Airwave Media family, home of such shows as the Daily Meditation Podcast, the Accidental Creative, and I know what scares you. If you'd like to advertise on the show, contact Sales at advertisecast.com. Something is terrorizing the southern United States. I just thought, oh no, she's going to tear me to pieces. A creature not known for its massive size may be reaching monstrous proportions. They'll kill you. They'll eat you. Eyewitnesses claim to see hogs 10 feet long and weighing half a ton. When you start seeing tracks as big as my hand, you know you got a monster hog. Are they enormous escaped farm animals or giant wild hogs? The first couple rounds in, didn't phase him. He just kept coming. Monster Quest will launch an expedition to decipher the evidence. We want a monster hog. That's the thrill of going to check the trap. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. As you heard in that introduction clip from the TV show Monster Quest, the feral pigs become fully monsterized in American folklore. I myself have contributed to the spread of this idea because I'm familiar with the real-world farm damage these animals can do. And I've long been fascinated with the morphological changes that occur to domestic farm pigs that get out and go feral. In this two-part interview, we will be talking to a man who spent his entire professional career studying the morphology of pigs, and we're going to cut through some of the fatty lore and get down to the lean facts. Are domestic hogs really the werewolves of the farm? Do they turn into monsters when freed from the calorically rich world of the hog farm? Can a feral hog reach the 1,000-pound, 12-foot length described in news stories? The answer to these questions is complicated, but I can tell you that I learned a lot in this interview, and it's changed how I will be talking about this topic going forward, and hopefully it'll do the same for you. 
In part one, we'll be looking into the biology of pigs and separate the facts from the folklore as regards their behavior. In part two, we'll be looking at the big media stories about giant feral hogs and find out what was really going on in those cases. Well, now, let's get hog wild with some... Monster Talk. Dr. John J. Mayer is a research scientist and manager of environmental sciences at the Savannah River National Laboratory in Aiken, South Carolina. He's worked for 50 years in the study of wild pigs, with much of that work being on the morphology of these animals. His work on pigs has included direct involvement with several famous allegedly giant hogs, including Hogzilla, Monster Pig, and Son of Hogzilla. I'm excited by this interview because I find pigs far more interesting than just being my constant breakfast companion. And I hope that by the end of our discussion, you'll agree that some pigs are bores, but no pigs are boring. So, <laughs> welcome yeah, to you my... you got to wonder about somebody that studies wild pigs for 50 years. Yeah. You have to about I, again, I've been giving them intense study every breakfast every day. But uh, I, I, I guess we should get started with the most basic question, which is, what's a pig? Well, that's one of the cloven-hoofed mammals, actually one of the more primitive cloven-hoofed mammals. Uh, there are, what, eight different types of wild pigs around the world, uh, about one of them being Eurasian wild boar. And about eight to 10,000 years ago in various parts of Eurasia, wild boar were domesticated, producing domestic swine, domestic pigs, whatever noun you want to use. Uh, and that's typically when you talk about pigs, that's typically what uh, what people are referring to, especially when you're talking about bacon. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, I'm pig ignorant here. So I wanted to ask you, what's the difference between pigs and hogs and boars? Is there a difference at all? I get confused. Not not really. I mean, uh, depends on how you, you can use the the noun boar to, to mean Eurasian wild boar, or you can mean it to use a, a male pig, whether it's a whether it's a domestic pig or a warthog or a, a red river hog, whatever. So you know, and those those nouns get misused a lot. So that's that all adds to the confusion. Right. How are domestic pigs different from wild pigs? I mean, obviously, there's some size differences and other things, but like, what what is it that what what has domesticity brought to the pig uh, that it does, its wild uh, cousins don't have, and they're probably not cousins. Sorry. <laughs> the selective breeding that we've done for domestic pigs uh, over the years has produced much larger animals than uh, than most wild pigs. Uh, has produced a, a larger variety of coat coloration patterns. You've got all sorts of paint jobs. You've got uh, solid red. Or, or or white or black. You've got spotted animals. You've got belted animals. You've got animals with with uh, with light points, the tips of the feet, tip of the nose, tip of the tail. Um, and and in in domestication, uh, wild pigs are typically raised on a fairly high plane of nutrition. So when you do that with a pig, this has an effect on the the skeletal morphology with the skull for example uh, these animals end up having proportionally much wider skulls and the the dorsal the, the lateral view of the skull the dorsal profile becomes more and more concave uh, you also see that in zoo wild boar they tend to have uh, more concave dorsal profiles than, than free living wild boar oh interesting um, 
So, so it, they're still wild pigs because, but they're in a zoo, so their diet lends them to have these uh, morphological. Pigs are very plastic in a lot of ways. Yeah. One of those uh, being that, uh, depending on the the plant and nutrition that they're raised on, that has a major impact on their on their uh, their physical morphology. So, and again, the skulls are our classic example, and and that's also true of a lot of other wild animals, whether you're talking lions or whatever. That if you put them in a zoo and stuff them, say lions, stuff them full of uh, Purina lion chow, uh, <laughs> they end up having proportionally wider skulls. So, you know, this is this is something that's not uh, unusual in, in, in captive mammals and, and fairly consistent at the same time. Wow. Uh, okay. okay, I'm just, now I'm just diving here, but does that mean also that their embryo or their fetuses also have, like, since they're the product of better nutrition, did the babies have bigger skulls as well, which... They, they can be larger, but typically they're not that different from. Gotcha. Uh, these are from these are emergent, like adolescent parts. adult type uh, things. Th- yeah. This is uh, being raised to physical maturity. Uh, again, it's the plane of nutrition that determines what the endpoint looks like. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, so I'm from Australia originally. If you can't tell, and I'm just wondering if there's anything special or unique about pigs. Uh, in Australia, or any specific types of pigs that you don't find it elsewhere, or is it they're pretty common no matter where you find them? Uh, the thing about pigs in Australia is you have a lot more than we do. The population oh. estimate uh, nationwide in Australia is about 20 million. Currently wow. in the U.S., for example, it's I think we're right at 7 million right now. Uh, as far That's as types of pigs, they're, oh, largely... Uh, uh, Fairly typical feral pigs, uh, wild pigs that are solely of domestic ancestry. Uh, the pigs up in around the Coburg Peninsula and over around Darwin do have coat coloration patterns that suggest that they have some wild boar in their ancestry. How far back, we don't know, but they, they do have light tip bristles and other physical features that, that would indicate that there's some wild boar in, in the mix there. Wow. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's one of those. There's not a, uh, or maybe there is a, some sort of convergent sort of marsupial pig equivalent fitting that niche, but I don't know what it would be. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> well, what, what are peccaries? Because they look like pigs, but are they related to pigs? Are they convergent? Are they cousins? Or what's a peccary? okay? That's a, that's another uh, mammalian family. Uh, they. I can't remember how many millions of years ago it was, but they diverged from the. The uh, pig ancestors, uh, actually, in, in uh, both true pigs and peccaries, uh, evolved in, in the old world, in Eurasia and in, in uh, Africa. Uh, oddly enough, the, the peccaries made it across the Bering Land Bridge. The true pigs did not. Oh. Uh, and then the peccaries continued to evolve here in the, in the new world. Uh, Currently, we've got three species. Well, it depends on who you talk to, but typically, most people would agree we have three species of peccaries. The collared peccary, which in the U.S. we call javelina, uh, white-lipped peccaries, which are from Mexico down into South America, and then the chocolate peccary, which uh, was only discovered in, to be alive. It was thought to be uh, an extinct species, but it was discovered to be alive in 1975 uh, in Paraguay, and they're also found in in parts of northern Argentina and uh, eastern Bolivia. 
And I actually got to spend three field seasons down there in Paraguay studying. That was the first uh, ecological study of the Chacoan peccary. Again, an animal that we thought was was completely extinct. That's cool. Did, how, what kind of population did you uncover? Are they are they doing okay? Just they were hidden? They aren't. They aren't. They're very yeah. limited uh, distribution. And uh, <laughs> like a lot of animals down there, the, the locals just hunt the heck out of them. So. Probably make them into delicious barbecue. I, <laughs> well, they are. I've eaten, I've eaten a number of them. They are quite good, but that's, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, are there any other pig adjacent, if that's a phrase, uh, animals that fit, fit the, the pig niche? And are warthogs really pigs? Well, war, warthogs are. And, uh, you know, giant forest hogs, uh, babarusa, red river hogs, um, uh, bush pigs. Uh, there's That's an a, insult in Australia. Be- bearded, pig. bearded <laughs> pigs. Uh, there, there's a number of, of wild pig species in the family Suidae. Oh my okay. gosh! I'm just looking at a, a red river hog. I've never seen one of those. That's a wildly beautiful looking pig. They sort of look like a uh, a, 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 a Dr. Seuss creation. <laughs> yeah, it's fa- it remi- the hair reminds me a little bit of a bobcat. It's like a bobcat pig. <laughs> yeah, like, that's neat. Long, long tasseled ears. A uh, uh, really interesting paint job. So this will be a uh, yeah. check. Check the show notes episode. I'll try to put lots of links to some of this, the photos and other uh, pig uh, adjacent information. So. I'm using adjacent a lot tonight. When did humans <laughs> domesticate the pig? Do we know? I mean, obviously, at least uh, it goes back to biblical times because I remember well, reading about them as being a great repository for demons. <laughs> well, again, about uh, eight to 10,000 years ago in, in various parts of uh, the Eurasian supercontinent. Wow. And there were, there were multiple sites of, of pig domestication. It didn't happen in one place and spread from there. It happened in multiple places and sort of spread and then converged. Oh, I see. So so pig domestication happened after the land bridge uh, would have, I guess, I don't know when that closed, but if we... Uh, yeah, it, yeah, the Bering land bridge would have been gone. Yeah, okay. Wow. That is really neat. Well, um, Jack, I'm, I'm vegetarian, so I eschew pigs, bacon, ham. Um, clearly, you, you ate that kind of food, and I know Blake does. <laughs> Every but, day. Uh, <laughs> every day. Every day. I'm doing my part. Uh, I'm just curious about the any thoughts that you might have on the number of religions that prohibit the consumption of pigs. There's a lot of debate about where that came from. Uh, there's a very good book. It's called Eat Not This Flesh that discusses all that. And they really think where that came from was a lot of people used to say, well, you know, they're dirty and they're full of disease. And, you know, they, they right. knew that back then, like, you know, you shouldn't eat it because you're going to get, you know, trachinosis. And no, that's that's not the case. Uh, turns out that uh, pigs are not a herding animal. So people that had domestic pigs had to be fairly sedentary. Uh, the pigs had to be, for the most part, confined. Uh, in styes to be fed and whatnot. And when you had herding cultures, uh, as you did in the Middle East, uh, people that were sedentary and and stayed in one place and and all their garbage accumulated there and they had these animals that made messes and just were, you know, just terrible to clean up after and whatnot, that those were sort of people you looked down on. And not only them, but the the animals that they had like pigs. So... 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had heard so many different explanations, including that that pigs compete for the same food as humans and the disease idea. Mm. But the uh, the difference in how you would have to keep them versus a, a, a sort of a wandering herdsman type thing that makes really good sense. You know, it really does. That's now pigs. Obviously, uh, we've all seen Charlotte's Web and Babe. But how smart mm-hmm. are pigs, really? <laughs> oh, they're very smart. Okay. They're very smart. We've raised a number of them in the house. They're easier to paper train than puppies, and, and they are very smart. They always got along with our dogs, and they always could outsmart our dogs. And I assume you're talking like pot bellies, yeah, yeah. little pigs, right? No, well, these, are, these were uh, wild piglets that, <gasps> that hunters had killed the mother and got the litter of pigs. And so wow. we always were willing to mm. Uh, and we used to keep them until they start turning over furniture, okay. and then you got to find another home for them. So. Oh, looking but for they those. are absolutely adorable. And, Finding and, troubles and, under your couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that is interesting. My husband used to have a, a pot-bellied pig, or at least he was told it was, and and I, it grew a lot larger. So I don't know exactly, you know, which kind it was. Uh, but he it was confiscated by Denver Council. Um, I don't know if it went to a petting zoo or something like that, but outside of people such as yourself, experts in pigs, should the average person have a pig as a pet or what do you feel about pigs as pets? Well, you better look at your zoning laws, whether they're going to allow you to have livestock or not. So, um, you know, that would be the first question. Uh, As far as raising a pig, we didn't find it any different than, than raising puppies, you know, or dogs. So, wow. And again, they're very smart. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy. UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Chinwag Pod and Wagon. 
Oh. Yeah, they, I, I've seen I've seen some adorable potbelly, and I, I, I honestly, you know, TikTok and Instagram. Well, it, well, my grandfather raised hogs, so I mean, I was like literally around, you know, hogs a lot when I was growing up, and and uh, I, I saw some that were cute and smart, and some that were just mean. There was, I remember my uncle was always complaining because when the sows would have babies. They would sometimes roll over on the babies, but then they'd be like, they would, so they've killed some of the babies, but then they would be mean and they wouldn't let you get in there and get the babies out. So it created all kinds of challenges. He he was, he was, I, I guess maybe he was a little bit resentful that he had to live with his, with his dad and help raise hogs and wanted to be out doing other things. <laughs> that, that happens in the wild too. Where yeah. The sounds will inadvertently roll on, on uh, newborns in the nest and it just. Uh, inadvertent crushing like that happens. So, and you know, pigs, especially domestic pigs, are are, are very good protective mothers. Yes, yeah. Uh, mm. You always hear these stories though about how wild pig sows. You know, boy, you better not go. You know, she's got a litter of pigs. You better not go up there. She's going to defend the, you know, defend her litter and, and mm. not to tell people to do something they shouldn't do. But I've never had trouble running a sow off her piglets in wow. the wild. Uh, you know, you make yourself loud and big and, and uh, crashing and booming, and she'll turn and look at the kids and go, bye, gang, and Just she's like, gone. I can make more later. Oh. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's interesting now, anyway. At the same know. time, though, if it's a coyote that goes in there after that litter of pigs, uh, that sow will, will, will tear that coyote up. They're, they are very really. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they are, I mean, they can be quite fierce fighters from what I've seen. And that, that's just on the farm. Mm-hmm. I, that's without tusks. So I I, <laughs> I I can't even imagine what. Well, and of course, you read in mythology, people hunting hogs with spears and how dangerous that is. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I guess I've always been curious because after seeing the European boars, which I'm guessing probably 60 to 80 pounds, something like that, the ones I've seen yeah, in the wild. They can, they can get up bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, typically, they're... Adult males are around 200 pounds. Females are wow. around 175. I've been seeing uh, you runs. Can get, <laughs> you can get individuals uh, for a variety of reasons. Again, if they're in an area that's got good forage, that can get upwards of 500 pounds. I wow. Mean, it's, it's been mm-hmm. documented. Karen, just Incredible. as an FYI, the probably the most famous giant hog as a monster movie is Razorback. And I believe that's set in Australia. Australia. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I've heard of it. I haven't yeah. seen it. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's a hole in my watching list too, but I've, I keep getting recommendations that I should check it out. That is far better than I'm imagining. So I'm not sure okay, I would yeah. agree with that, but you might want to see it. <laughs> but then again, you don't know how bad some of the movies I watch are. So yeah, that's, this is true. I have a, a certain affinity for 1970s horror that a lot of people would just discuss card right into the discount bin so yeah anyway but let's get back to pigs uh behavior ethology i know we're we're gonna be splitting this episode in half but i just would you mind doing sort of like uh what's their behavior like you know how 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 big do they get in groups in the wild how many how many pigs in a litter in the wild compared to the farm Mm. that kind of thing just some stats you know all right. So again, basics, uh, size wise, males are bigger than females. It's, uh, has to do with, uh, uh, male, male competition for breeding opportunities for females. So the, the males have to be bigger. Uh, again, whether you're talking wild pigs here in the U S or over in Europe, uh, adult males are about 200 pounds. Females are about 175 more or less. Uh, they're born at, um, a little less than, than two pounds in weight. Uh, litters are 
in utero or around the average around six, what actually comes out and hits the ground is closer to five. You get some interuterine death. Um, they, they can live in the wild up to uh, about 14, 15 years. That's, that's an extreme. Um, most of them probably don't make it past eight. Uh, the average lifespan is only a year and a half. And that's primarily because of uh, very high mortality in the in the first four months of life can be mm. can be as, mm. as, uh, so it throws the averages as, way off as high as ninety yeah. percent yeah really so, um, litter size uh, again the the social unit size the basic social unit is a is a the family unit a sow with her young uh, you get multiple family. Uh, units with multiple sows and their collective litters. Uh, mature boars are, you know, males. They're just difficult anyway. Mature boars are are solitary. Yeah. So they only get together with the sows uh, for breeding opportunities. Um, so I, I that sort of implies that the females go through a a, a, a heat cycle or estrus. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and if they're not bred during that initial estrus cycle. Uh, they will come into estrus again several months down the road. Also, uh, if they do get pregnant, uh, they have what's called a postpartum estrus, which means that after they birth that litter of pigs, within the next few days, they are in estrus again, so they can get bred again. Well, so wow. Wild sows that have their nursing litter of pigs, and they've got another litter in utero. Wow. Very taxing on that poor sow. But yes. It does so they can have two litters in a 12-month period of time. The gestation period, by the way, is, is like domestic pigs. It's it's three months, uh, three weeks, three days. Good grief, though. The caloric requirements for being a mom, get, raising internally and also feeding. My gosh, they must have a lot of caloric requirements. They do, and they can often lose that uh, that litter that's in utero just because they physiologically can't support it can't support that uh, litter. Well, and are there any differences between wild pigs and uh, farmed pigs in the, in this information, with this information? Uh, yes. Domestic pigs have much larger litters. They have been selectively bred to have larger litters, uh, talking upwards of uh, around 30. Uh, typically the, the average domestic litter is around eight to 10, but, but they can have quite large litters. Again, wow. only only two per year. Uh, well, this is a fantastic segue into the big question, I think, that I really wanted to talk about, which is what happens when a domestic pig that has all these selected traits goes feral out in the wild? And I, I've talked about this before on the show, but I want to hear it from an expert because I some of my information comes from reading, but some comes from TV documentaries, some of which are really good and some of which are really bad. And I don't necessarily know what's the right information here because uh, I, I've, what I've seen is very dramatic and what, what kind of changes mm-hmm. can happen. I think typically what you hear anecdotally is that when a uh, domestic pig goes wild and just to talk about that briefly, for whatever reason, domestic pigs go wilder quicker than any other species of domestic animal that, that we have. Uh, this is something that's been documented as far back as the time of Charles Darwin. Uh, and when a domestic pig goes wild, 
very often you'll hear that, oh, well, within uh, days or weeks or months or sometimes less than a year, these animals are gonna start looking like wild boar. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true. Uh, I hate to burst that bubble, but it's not true. Uh, it's a little complicated though, so let's, let's talk about that for a moment. So if you've got a domestic pig that's been raised to physical maturity, so that's three, three to five years of age, and that animal gets loose uh, and goes wild. Again, pigs go wild very quickly. Domestic pigs go wild very quickly. Um, they like that wild life. Um, what's going to happen to them morphologically? Well, uh, so they're no longer going to be on that high plane of nutrition. They're not going to be feeding them, feeding them full of Purina pig chow. They're going to be out there having to to root and look and find acorns and and i'm sorry there just aren't enough good groceries out there to, to match up with with the life on purina pig chow so number one that animal is going to lose weight uh some of their morphology is plastic if they when they go wild if it's colder out there than where they were in in uh in captivity uh they will get longer hair but you know, their snout's not going to get longer. Their tusks aren't going to get longer. Realize, though, that domestic pigs have very large tusks. That's that's a fact. Uh, very often, because the in domestic pigs, remember, the, the plane of nutrition makes the skull proportionally wider. That, af that often causes an offset of the, the tusks, the upper and lower tusks. So you don't get the lower tusk wearing on the upper tusks. So very often, you'll see domestic pigs that have these big complete circles of, of lower tusks, very impressive. Uh, but domestic pigs do have big tusks. So again, not a lot of differences. They're gonna drop weight. They might have longer hair. Other than that, nah, you're not gonna see much different. Now, let's complicate the situation. Let's take a litter of six piglets, okay? They've just been born. Let's, uh, let's give them a, a couple months with mom so they, they, they get a little bit bigger. And we're going to take three of those piglets and we're going to stick them in the the, uh, the pig pen and stuff them full of Purina pig chow for the next three to five years. We're going to take the other three and we're going to throw them out in the swamp and let them go. We're going to go back three to five years later and we're going to see what happened. Well, you, the ones that you stuck in the pig pen and stuffed full of Purina pig chow, uh, they're going to look like the usual large, uh, proportionally wider, uh, deep dished face that you see in, in your classic domestic pig. Those three that we kicked out in the swamp are going to be smaller because they're not out there on a high plane of nutrition. The skull is going to be, and the body will be proportionately narrower, not as wide as the domestic pig. Uh, they're also not going to have that dished dorsal profile in the skull. They're going to have a fairly flat uh dorsal profile, almost kind of looking like a, a wild boar, but, uh, mm -hmm. but not quite. That, that has to do with, uh, again, the plane of nutrition that you're raised on. That, that determines the depth of that dorsal profile in a pig. So there are differences that occur, uh, but those are developmental differences, again, that all goes back to that plane of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's the reality of the situation. So it's not that they uh, when they go wild, again, depending on what age they are, uh, that they're going to automatically go back to looking like a wild boar. That just, that just doesn't work. 
But if the animal is young enough and ends up getting away and growing up in the wild on that lower plane of nutrition, yes, morphologically, they're going to be very different from a domestic pig. Wow. Okay. And that's, that's the truth. <laughs> well, the truth is important. I want them to be the werewolves of the farmyard where they can turn into monsters. Uh, but if, if they're not, they're not. And so I will, I, I feel like yeah. this is great because you've helped remove some of the nonsense from my head. And that's really always my goal. <laughs> well, you definitely, you definitely need to see the movie razor back then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. I think Roger Ebert said it was the so I think Roger Ebert said it was the finest horror film about a giant pig that he had seen. So I you know <laughs> just about the only horror film. I think I've that was the joke. Exactly. <laughs> well, with uh, you talking about pigs rooting, it just made me think about uh, truffles. And I'm just curious why are pigs used to hunt truffles? Because the subterranean fungus truffles, it's called a truffle, uh, gives off the same chemical odor that is, that it's actually chemically identical to sex hormones in pigs. Oh, so, wow. You didn't see that one coming, did you? No. no. <laughs> this, this is why pigs have a fascination for, for digging up truffles, because they're attracted uh, to the scent. Now, you can train dogs to do the same thing. Uh, just they have they have to be keyed in on that on that particular scent, and they will they will do the same thing as a pig. But that's that's why pigs were used to do so that. So truffles oh, okay. smell like sexually active pigs. They yes, they give off a an an odor that's chemically identical to sex hormones in pigs. Wow, and, and I'm thinking about how many uh, fungi also look like penises. This is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's something going on. The fungi, something's going on in the fungal world. It's like, anyway, so these morphological changes that can occur, do we know? Well, I mean, obviously it's diet related in some way. And any of the changes that do happen uh, that are physical, do, do they reflect a, a, a behavior change? I mean, can these wild hogs or feral hogs, can they be reintroduced into a farm situation and, and behave, or do they become problem pigs once they've sort of been removed from that environment? We could. I mean, we, we've had uh, wild pigs that we've caught and kept in a pen for a while for behavior studies and other things. And, you know, they're pigs are pigs. Uh, they, in, in captive situations, you have pigs that are that are very nice animals. You have others that are kind of mean, as you said. Uh, and so, you know, just because it's wild caught and put in a pen <clears throat> doesn't mean it's not going to be any nicer or meaner than a domestic pig that was born in a pen and raised to to adulthood. You know, some of those are 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 mean as all get out. So, and, and there have been a number of people that have been killed and, and in some cases partially eaten by, by their domestic pigs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, from what I've heard, there's also, you know, people do just get eaten and you, they're just gone, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow. pig, pig. well, and I noticed even on the farm when I was raising, working with my grandfather, it was his farm, but you know, pigs will eat each other. They'll eat anything. They're like, you know, they're very opportunistic in, in my experience. They are. They're, they're yeah. an opportunistic omnivore. Yeah. If it's got a calorie in it and they get, yeah, exactly. That's they'll, a, they'll eat it. Well, did not well, know said. That. well so, said, well <laughs> said, 
that totally compliant with my experience. Okay, listen. Fear and respect for pigs. Yes. (laughs) And first of all, thank you for this tremendously informative intro to pigs. Now uh, we're going to wind this up. And in in next episode, we're going to talk about pigs as monsters and specifically some of the giant pig cases from the uh, sort of mid-2000s. This is uh, very exciting. Thank you again, Dr. Mayer, for joining us. And we'll be back next week. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard part one of our two-part interview with Dr. John Mayer discussing the biology of pigs and how their morphology changes in the wild. I was a little disappointed that the rumors of their massive morphological change in the wild has been overplayed in the news. But when you think about it in terms of evolutionary adaptation, this does make sense. We're all born with genetic instructions that control how our bodies will change as we grow and age. But those instructions include vast libraries of adaptive adjustments that keep us alive when calories are lower or when environmental circumstances require it. In perhaps somewhat oversimplified terms, it's not shocking that life is adapted to allow continued morphological responses to the environment. But with the feral hog, those changes have taken on monstrous narratives that are unsubstantiated by the real-world examples. Now, be sure to tune in next week when we'll be seeing how the monster hog media sausage got made. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you for making science and monsters a part of your audio diet. Monster House presentation.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money. 